Happy Father's Day from the Men at the Movies podcast. To celebrate, Britt and I discuss Martian Child. We find that we can't be David unless we've gone through being Dennis. It gives us compassion, empathy, and humility necessary to provide a safe environment. Because we all need to feel safe in order to find healing. And as we do that, we find that there is a difference between telling a story and living a story. So let's live a more interesting story today and discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald, and joining me, wishing you a happy Father's Day, is Britt Mooney. Hey, Britt, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty amazing, man. It's been a good day so far. Got a lot done. <laughs> There's a lot of changes going on in my world, but you know, I got I got a great wife and great family and great people who who are supporting us through a lot of what God's trying to do that I don't even figure have it figured out yet. So. But it's good. Beautiful day, man. Beautiful weather. Yeah, I don't think we ever figure it out. I think that's that's part of our journey. Well, you do, but usually like 10 years later. Right. Usually you're like, oh. It's that hindsight thing. You're like, oh, that, that now that makes that, sense. Oh, I mean, yesterday makes sense. Doing. Today is still kind of a cluster, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's part of maturity is you realize that. The problems you had last year, you don't have today. And the problems you have today, you won't have next year. Like, it's just, you realize. You'll have a whole new set of problems. <laughs> you're going to have a whole new set of problems. But hopefully a depth of maturity to to handle them. And God helped me with the bear. And he helped me with the lion. <laughs> right. And he'll help me with this uncircumcised Philistine. That's right. So all you Philistines <laughs> out there get circumcised. <laughs> So all that actually kind of feeds into what we're talking about today. This has been a movie that we've had on our calendar to actually discuss for Father's Day weekend. And we're talking about Martian Child. Came out in 2007. It's got John Cusack. It's got Amanda Peet. It's got our boy Oliver Platt, who we love just about every role he's done. Uh, it's a, Of course, it's got John Cusack. So, of course, it's got Joan. But in, in the core, so it's a, based on a novella, a short story by David Gerald. And it's a fairly simple premise. Uh, a, a guy, a single man, adopts a kid who is convinced that he's from Mars. And chaos ensues. That's, that's basically the, the movie in the nutshell. But what you were just saying, we, we were just sort of talking about the problems of tomorrow like our maturity for to be prepared for those problems is actually starting today. <laughs> and so we're just jumping right in. We're going to talk about the framework. We're going to talk about adoption, obviously. Um, we're going to talk about the, the difference between telling a story and living a story. And the idea that living a story actually changes the story that we write. All within the, obviously, I mean, adoption framework or being a father not necessarily always physical. Um, sometimes you you can be spiritual fathers to people 
guide, mentor, sage. Uh, and, and if you're a younger guy listening, well, one day you'll probably be a father. So you, you should be prepared now. As we just said, prepare today for what you're going to face next year. That's right. Earlier this week, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking, oh, the, the guy on there was in, in grad school. He's going to be a, a going to be a counselor, a therapist. And he was sharing, he said, you know, there's, there's a really, there's a lot of hope. And on that other end is it's, it's kind of disappointing. He said, the hope is kids don't require us to be perfect fathers. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves as fathers to be perfect, go everywhere, be everything, you know, as we say, friend, father, confidant, all the things, coach a lot of times. What he said is kids are fine without all that. It's, it's the, the kids turn out best who are sort of in the middle of the bell curve. Obviously, if the father is absent, if the father is abusive, neglectful, all those things mm-hmm. at that one extreme that has significant negative impact on the kids. On the other hand, the perfect fathers also actually have kids who have some dysfunction and some damage, which I thought was an interesting dynamic is what he was saying is the kids who handle life the best in the future are the kids whose dads are kind of messed up themselves, but own up to that and say, Hey, I I screwed up. I shouldn't have, you know, yelled at you here. I shouldn't have done this. They don't maybe go to all the games, but they go to some of them. Maybe they show up late, but they're there. Like that's sort of the framework of this idea of as fathers. And for me, I want this episode to be kind of encouraging for us as fathers, but also as adoptive sons of God, of what that looks like. Because in a lot of ways in this movie, we're like Dennis a lot more than we're like David. And so I want to start off quick because we've got a few clips that we want to use. And this one's very early in the movie. This right when we find out David is a widow, widower, and he's talking to their friend, Harley, who's played by Amanda Pete, And he's wrestling with this. He's like this... This friend of mine reached out. She says she's got a kid. She thinks I should adopt him. His wife's been dead for two years. He says it's crazy. He doesn't feel prepared. So they have this interesting conversation. So what do you think, honestly? Are you kidding? I love the idea of you adopting a child. I think it's so beautiful for you to open up your heart like that. Liz thinks I'm crazy, you know? I mean, what if she's right? You know, what if I'm... What if I'm not up to it? Let me tell you something. My mother raised five kids, and never for one second did she question whether she was cut out to be a parent. And she was great, right? No, the worst. A shrink has a house in Laguna because of her. Just the fact that you're even asking yourself the question pretty much proves you're qualified. Most people spend more time worrying about how to raise tomatoes than they do their own kids. I watched this movie not too long after it came out. I'm a... I'm a John Cusack right. fan. He's one of my favorites. Uh, I might have a little man crush on him, <laughs> but not really. A little bromance. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, Joan Cusack is, she, I don't know, of, even when she's in bad movies, she's the best thing in them. So I love the dynamic and with he and his friend, you know, was giving him someone to kind of bounce these ideas off of. Uh, in the beginning, his sister is trying to shoot the idea down. She's saying, look, I love my kids, but they're awful and they're not adopted. Like, you know, I I can't tell you to do this. You know, I I, I saw a video 
recently of um, Adam Sandberg, if you know him as a comedian. Andy Sandberg? Andy Sandberg. Did I say Adam? <laughs> it's Adam Sandler. Yeah, I, I got him mixed up. meshed them together. Andy Sandberg and from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and that guy. And, and he's like, you know, everybody, like before you have a kid – they tell you it's wonderful and it's so awesome and it will change your life and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And he goes, and then, and then after you have a kid, those same people are like, welcome to hell. <laughs> and, you know, like, welcome to, this is the worst thing that's ever, you know, he's like, why didn't you tell me this before? And they're like, we wanted you to be in hell with us. And um, it's funny, but you know, when you have kids, it can, it's hard, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of things that, you got to deal with, and you're not going to be perfect at it because I say it all the time. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to do 17, 15, and 13 with my own kids, right? And then pretty soon they're going to be 18, 16, and 14, right? Yeah. I mean, like you're always in something new. But the Amanda Peet character, Haley, she's the voice of positivity and sunshine. At one point he calls her whatever Miss, Miss Sunshine or something, but you know, like she's always super positive and she's always super encouraging and telling him that he can do it. And I love the line where she says, look, just the fact that you're asking the question means you're ready. Um, and, and I, and here's why I love that is, you know, if you want to get all scriptural about it and James, James says, God, Resist the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And, and and a lot of times, I think maybe for men especially, the humility can feel like weakness, hmm. can feel like I'm admitting weakness. And you are. <laughs> That's true. But knowing your weaknesses is actually a strength. Like knowing, being humble is where you find strength because you're willing to listen <laughs> to what people are trying to tell you. You're willing to admit your own mistakes. You're willing to improve. You're willing to get better. There's all those sort of elements to it. Like you can't, I was reading in Job uh, recently and uh, Elihu at the end has given his big speech before God speaks. And he, and Elihu literally says, look, Job, your problem is your pride because you think you're righteous which is kind of interesting because God calls him right. righteous in the beginning. <laughs> but anyway, so, but, but your self-righteousness is your pride. You, you're defending yourself. And he says, and God doesn't talk to prideful people. Basically, that's what Elihu says. He won't even talk to you. So you keep wanting to hear from God, but your pride is getting in the way. If you would humble yourself, you would hear from him. And, and a lot of times I think that you know, as men, as fathers, or even like as we're going to get into, not just being fathers, like just reaching out to younger people uh, that might need mentoring or might need some encouragement and might need another adult in their life to lift them up and encourage them. We can feel unprepared. We can feel inadequate for those things. And I think the feeling of inadequacy is actually a good thing yeah. <laughs> because then your expectations aren't, I'm going to change this kid's life forever. Your expectations are I, all I can do is show up and love him or or her. Like that's all I can do. And then consistency with that is what will make a difference. 
But I think a lot of times when we talk to men about mentorship, they get this whole big idea of like, well, I'm going to change their life forever. And they're going to become NBA stars or, you know, like we have this. Now that was Adam Sandler in Hustle. (laughs) (laughs) That was Adam Sandler in Hustle. But, you know, the fact that, that, that he's questioning his ability, but as we'll get to in another clip is, is it's, it's not his ability that propels him. It's his compassion and his, his search for meaning as we'll get to in a, in a different clip. Like there's something different that's compelling him other than I'm really good at this. That's the wrong place to start from. God can't work with that. <laughs> but what God does work with is I don't know if I, if I can help, but I know someone should. Yeah. Right? So I'm here. Yeah, and and I love that that idea. Like just the fact you've asked means you're qualified. It, if you mm-hmm. are wondering, if you're burdened, if you are a good dad, and I can say this because I do it. <laughs> But like just the fact you asked the question means you're qualified. And on this sort of Father's Day weekend week, whenever you end up listening to this, like there's guys out there who don't care if they're good dads. They're just like, whatever. They don't they don't think about it. That's a sign they're probably not. <laughs> and then there's guys that are what I really like the the difference, the contrast you were kind of talking about, Britt. The guys who are are pressure. And it's like, I have to be, a, I have to have perfect kids because I'm a perfect father. Like that sort of mindset, they're probably not listening to this podcast either. <laughs> the guys who are listening to it are the ones who want to enter into relationship with their kids or with younger people, younger men, as we are supposed to mentor those, those younger than us, or whether whatever, it may not be physically, but those who are, are walking together. But that idea of entering into it with compassion, with a heart, with love, why are you doing that? Why do you care about being a good dad? Is it because you care what people think? That's, again, going back to that pride issue that you talked about. I just thought that that line was so reassuring for so many of us, for me, who wonder, who suffer under the burden of, am I doing? A, am I being a good dad? Am I doing enough? The fact that you're asking means it's a pretty good sign you are. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily have this clip, but the the person who tells him about Dennis is the social worker or whatever she is. She's the adoption Sophie. agency lady. Yeah. And they were searching for adoption before his wife died. Like that's the whole setup of the movie. I don't think it's the setup of the of the novella. I think they've changed, they changed some of the story. We talked about that a little bit, but, but the setup in the movie is they were, so that's why she already has this connection with him. And she meets this kid and she's like, you need to talk with this kid. And he is like, like, and he talks about, I'm, I'm, I'm like the low man on the totem pole. Like you dig a hole (laughs) and I'm even lower. Like just this, the idea that a single widower would try to adopt a kid that's like would the be worst qualified for this job that's the worst that's the lowest on the totem pole for qualifications and yet this this woman says no this kid dennis you should talk to and so of course he kind of lets her know like 
yeah, I, I don't think this is a good idea. But he sees that the kid's in a box because he doesn't right. like the sun or whatever the thing is. And then he's like, he wanted to bring the kid's sunscreen. Well, why did you bring him sun? Well, he just, I figured he might like it. Like, in other words, it, 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 he was thinking about another person. It wasn't, it wasn't an idea of, I'm going to adopt a kid and change a kid's life. Like, it was literally like, this kid mm. is in a box and he doesn't like the sun. And, you know, maybe I'll get him some sunscreen. And I just, just a, it's a simple act. But Dennis remembered it, right? You know, he's like, I'm waiting. He's out in the rain, waiting for the <laughs> David to come back. And, and so uh, it, it's, it's, it doesn't really take that much for us to have an impact. Mm. Just the fact that we, that we show up. And we say encouraging things and we, we just act like we believe in people. And, and when we, when we do that, whether it's one interaction or, or, or we look for people in the church or in our lives or in our families or whatever, where we can do it more consistently, man, I'm telling you, like, you just don't realize sometimes until years later when people tell you, like, you, you mattered, you changed something. Yeah. I'm like, what, what did I do? Like, I felt that several times. I don't know about you, but I felt that several times. I mean, I, mean, I was a teacher, so I was a, I was in contact with, so, so maybe my percentage isn't very good, but, um, but, you know, I was a teacher. So, and, you know, I've been in ministry and I've been a missionary and I've, you know, I encounter people a lot. So every now and then you get people who are like, Hey, I just was thinking about you the other day and this thing that you did, meant something to me. And this happened to me with a friend from high school. We were hanging out and she said, she said, do you remember when you tutored me in math and you helped me pass a test? I'm like, no. She goes, I do. Now this is a person who was a couple of years younger than me. And she, she was, she came from a rough family and she was a, like, she was a freak, you know, like goth and everything. And uh, but, you know, of course, I had long hair. I was a metalhead myself, but I was a good student, right? And I was a Christian, very outspoken, and she was definitely not a Christian, right? And she was a druggie and all that sort of stuff. But she literally, year, like decades later, was like, if, I wish everyone was a Christian like you were. Just, just because I helped to tutor her like, and, and helped her pass a test. Like, to me, I don't know how much time it took me, but probably not very much. But my point is, is that... It doesn't take as much as we think. It's just being there, being willing to spend a little extra time and make those connections. And man, I, I just I just know from experience it can have great impact. Yeah. And so I want to shift now to our next clip because there's there's something I want to talk about with what you just said. A way of looking at people, especially our kids, um, where he's he's visited Dennis. Dennis is the kid. He's in a box because he's thinking he's 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 believes he's from Mars. So the sun, he's got a belt because the gravity is going to float away, <laughs> and all this stuff. Like in the box, and I even I had written this down, and he even says it in this clip is like on the box it says fragile, yeah. handle with care. Yeah, and he's talking to his sister. He's trying to talk him out of stepping into this, but his final argument, I, I think, is a little bit 
you, you can't really argue with what he says at the end. It says fragile handle with care for God's sake. David and hello, Earth to David. A kid who sits in a box all day is a giant red flag, all right? It's like the equivalent of buying a used car and ignoring the oil spill in the driveway. You know, for a non-writer, you're becoming the queen of the muscular analogy. Okay. Listen, the thing about kids, and I wouldn't trade mine for the world, is that they keep coming at you, all right? They're, they're like mosquitoes sucking the life out of you. They take away your life, your privacy, your identity. You should work for Planned Parenthood. You joke. You forget that whole shelf full of books you wrote or your knowledge of California wines or that you ever ran a marathon. All right, here's the thing, Liz. I never ran a marathon. I don't want to run a marathon. I want to do something meaningful, you know? And I get all the arguments against it. I even get the one that says, I don't know if I want to bring another kid into this world. But how do you argue with the logic of loving one that's already here? That line right there, I want to do something meaningful. I, I mean, I even love the contrast. I'm not, I'm, we're not talking about bringing a kid into the world. This is a kid who's in the world already. And he's sitting in a box, hiding in a box. He doesn't have any friends. The, the, the other girl, the girl in the group home there is like, he's weird. He thinks he's from another planet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even the other orphans are like, he's weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. As, as his sister said, a kid who hides in a box is a major red flag. And that's enough to make a lot of us run away screaming. And and the really the magic of what we see David do with Dennis is for the vast majority of the movie, you know, he he accepts him as he is. If he wants to believe he's from Mars, what's the harm in that? Who cares? You know, he's not hurting anybody. I mean, when he's stealing, yeah, that might be sort of hurting people. But, you know, if, if he's a little weird, so what? So is I. Like, that's one of the things he, he – that's how he relates. And it, the movie opens with him talking about his book, mm-hmm. how he relates to the character in his book. But it's not the one you think. It's not the human. It's the creature. <laughs> so a great it, line. Later on, he's going to talk about the creature and the alien who find each other. And there's a line very late in the movie uh, from his publisher. He shows up because he's supposed to be writing a sequel. And he shows up with not the sequel. Uh, Because as we'll talk about in just a minute, when you start living a story, it makes you change your story. Like he's supposed to write a a, a story, uh, the, the sequel to his previous successful book. But what he finds himself writing about is a story about him and Dennis. And his publisher's really upset. She's got all this marketing campaign. All this stuff is planned. And she yells at him. She says, why can't you just be what we want you to be? And just think for a minute. How often do we lay that question on our kids? Why can't you just be who I want you to be? Why can't you just... Go to college. Why can't you just study? Why can't you just do your homework? Why can't you just not date that guy or that girl? (laughs) Why can't you, you know, why can't you fit in this mold of what I thought having a kid would look like? And instead, as you mentioned earlier, entering into it with compassion, with patience, allowing that person to be who they want to be or who God created them to be 
you know, one of the one of the challenging things to pray, because, you know, as as fathers, we have this sort of idea for the initiation of our children, how they should be prepared for adulthood and and independence and all that. But as we know from our own lives, God has his own plans for our initiation. So how can we align our hearts with his plans for their initiation? Because mm-hmm. his plans are going to look a lot more than different than ours. And and as we talked about with our parenthood podcast, kids aren't a blank slate like we think they are. Mm-hmm. Our job, as we see Dennis doing, or as we see David doing with Dennis, our job is to help them discover who they are, not shape them into little sculptures and molds because that's that's sculpting. That's mm-hmm. that's not parenting. One of my favorite lines from the movie is when, what's her name? Sophie, who, whoever the social worker lady is. And they're, they're looking at him on the playground and he's weird and whatever. And he's kind of trying to talk himself out of it. And he's just trying to give her his reasoning why it's just not the right time. And he has all logical reasons that make total sense, just like his sister is telling him. Everything she said was true. Everything she said is factually correct. This is not fun. You are not signing up for fun. You are not signing up for good. You're in the sense of like, this is going to be rough. This is going to be hard. He has a lot of problems. It's going to take all that you have. It's going to take all you have. Yes, good. And my kids take all I have and they're, they don't hide in boxes, you know. <laughs> we wish they would sometimes. Right? <laughs> Anyways, Sophie says, basically, he's had doctors. So, yeah, we know he's been abused and abandoned. We know this. He, he's had doctors. You've met them or whatever. Like, he meets them throughout the movie, right? He's had doctors. And she doesn't say it, but the implication is clear. He needs a dad. He needs a dad. And I am not, I know this is Father's Day, but one of the times that I got really mad was one year there was a guest teacher, preacher at a church I was at, and the guy got up on Father's Day and proceeded to talk about how awful men are. And I'm sitting there in this going, well, F you. (laughs) Like, really? Do we really think this is what men need? is to be told more and more how awful they are. Now, are there awful men in the world? Yeah. Yes. But there are so many great men. And and all that's doing is our, our over-criticism of maleness in our culture, all it's doing is making men retreat. But there is a culture that needs men in their life. They need men in their life. I'm not going to say more than women. I'm just saying they got plenty of women. I'm saying they have women. They, well, there's a woman as their teacher. There's a woman as their administrator They're, uh, at school. There's a woman as their mom. There's a woman in the preschool. There's a woman here. There's a, a, the, the Sunday school teacher. If you go to church, like there's women everywhere. What they need is a man to stand up and say, I know I'm not perfect but I'm here and I'm showing up, 
you know, and and I'll have relationship with you. And and we our our culture needs fathers. And we've we talked about this so many times on this podcast, but this over and over again, just recognizing out of compassion, like you may not be the dad, but you know, I watched this great video and I'll send it to I'll send it to Paul. And I don't know if he can do anything with it, but it was on TikTok and I had and I showed it to my to my wife and it was an, an African-American man. And he talked about how he was in the 10th grade. He started the second semester of the 10th grade in 1978. So I don't know how old that made him, but he didn't look that old. He looked pretty good for his age. But he was talking about how in February 1st or whatever, he started second semester, 10th grade at this school. February 2nd, he woke up and his mother didn't. And his mom was a single mom. So like the next week he wasn't in school because of stuff, right. And burying his mom and all this stuff. And, and so he doesn't have a mom and his mom was the one who woke him up and, and taught him that education was important. So he didn't even know why he was at school. And there was an English teacher, uh, Mr. Goldberg, who, started asking questions. Every time I call on you, you seem lost, but when you when you understand the question, you always know the right answers. Like you seem like you're in a daze, like what's going on with you? And he told him. And this and this teacher said, "Look, well I have a I have a free period that I use for lunch. I want you to come see me during this free period." And he did that all semester. He had this young man come to him all semester and it didn't stop with his 10th grade. He had him do it in the 11th grade and then he had him do it in the 12th grade and he shows up for this guy's graduation and the guy, I think his name is Max says, Mr. Goldberg, what are you doing here? He goes, well, normally I don't go to graduations because I don't teach seniors, but I wouldn't have missed your graduation for the world. Oh, and by the way, this guy also like, told all the teachers, you have any problem with this kid, you come to me. <laughs> like he took responsibility. And I'm just telling you, man, I've been in those situations where you see a kid and he's struggling and he's, you're a teacher or whatever. And it just takes a little reaching out and saying, Hey man, I got you. It'll be all right. You know? And those are the kind of things that change lives, man. They do change lives, but it didn't change just one time. It was just that consistent friendship, you know, and he didn't have all the answers. He didn't need to. He just needed to love the kid. And, and the guy, Max said, you know, he goes, I was, a, I was a statistic waiting to happen, you know, but I got a scholarship and I went to college and, you know, right. all this stuff, you know, and why did I keep showing up was because someone there loved me. And, and so that's what this kid needed. He, he had doctors, Dennis had doctors, they knew the psychological problems, right? The uh, whatever, isolation and all the stuff that he was dealing with. But he needed a man who was willing to reach out to him and make and be family. And there's so many people looking for that man. Yeah. You know, there are so many dentists in our world who are looking for that. Yeah. And they're not easy, <laughs> but it's good. Yeah. Yeah, and in Psalm 68, it talks about how God sets the lonely in families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to I want to focus a little bit on Dennis here. I read this book a few years ago called The Connected Child. It's primarily for parents who are 
welcome children like from other countries, uh, from from troubled backgrounds with special needs, like Dennis. And I thought it was interesting how it talks about when fear is in control, and and putting that child at ease, making them feel safe, because. Uh, children who feel safe are free to heal and become secure, trusting children. And fe- it, another line says, fear will bully your child into poor behavior. Talks about, you know, their their focus is on safety, survival, hunger, thirst. They're, they're making hurts go away. Staying in control. That's what this kid is trying to do. He wants to stay mm-hmm. in control. A scared, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. It says, a scared child cannot grasp discussions, sermons, or lectures. <laughs> Because our brains, their brains are just in a heightened anxiety state. And when they're, I know this myself, my my wife and I get in an argument, my brain's heightened. I'm feeling anxious. I can't think straight. And the the kid will run away and hide. They'll lash out. They'll get angry. They'll stonewall. They'll become unresponsive. Again, they'll try to control the situation. And, you know, that's, we see that behavior in Dennis throughout the movie. And there's, there's two aspects of this. One is how we relate to Dennis and also how the people coming into church, especially those who are coming for possibly the first time, feel that way. They feel anxious. They feel scared. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going on. They feel out of control, so they try to control the situation. And how can we welcome the lonely in families in the family of God? But how can we also understand how we are like Dennis many times? How we need to feel safe, how we we want to feel safe. And one of that is understanding the truth about adoption. If you look back at biblical times, adoption is a legal contract. It's unbreakable. So if the the and, and back then everything went through the mail. So the father would do this contract to adopt the child. Well, when that happens, like if you had a kid, you can disown them. Like we see sort of with the prodigal son, you can disown them. You can kick them out. You can do that. If you've entered into an adoption contract with that child, you cannot. They are yours. The other contrast I like is children who are naturally born are tend to be the consequence of another activity. <laughs> An enjoyable activity, one might even say. <laughs> Adoption is a lot of work. It's a lot of choice. You know, in, in this movie, there's a lot of points. People are like, Dennis or David, this is getting hard. You're still in the trial period, right? And that pisses him right off. He's like, I'm not going to ditch this kid like everybody else did. Right. And the most important thing is that idea that, but God doesn't tell us, why can't you just be what we want you to be? In one sense, yes, he does. But in another, he's not saying, he's not telling me to be like Brit. He's not telling me to be like this other guy. He's not, he's not telling me to be like my brother or my dad. He's saying, I want you to be you, the best you possible. I don't want, I want you to, to understand to grow into who you are, not become this who I think you want, I want you to be, 
right? There's a while there where Dennis is pretending that he doesn't think he's from Mars. And this this idea that I think we we should understand is when we're watching this, it's really easy to look at it and be like, oh, we should be like, we should be like David and welcome them. And I think that's absolutely true. But we can't be David unless we've gone through being Dennis. Unless we realize that we were the lonely God is set in families, that we realize there is a safe place for us to be. And as a church, we need to create that safe environment for people to grow and struggle and be weird and to be like, and not, and, and again, create a safe space, not a judgmental, critical space where they just feel afraid, they run away and hide, or they lash out in anger. You, you have to remember that, you know, people are coming into the church or, or even people have been in the church for a while because a lot of churches aren't healthy either. So that we... We can't expect people to know intrinsically what a great family dynamic is. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. And so it shouldn't surprise us when people act out of fear. And and, and it's not even about judging them that they, that, that they act out of fear. Is that it, that we have to combat that not with more fear. Well, you shouldn't have fear. <laughs> Stop having fear. It, you know, <laughs> it's like telling somebody to relax. How right. well does that work? For Which you? we should. I mean, th- th- like we shouldn't be dealing with fear in the sense, right? We God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And so, but so to combat that, there have to be good examples. There has to be a healthy culture to emulate, and. And then there also has to be patience and second chances and conversations and communication. And it is hard work, but they also have to feel that they're wanted. Right. Because here's the thing about people, you know, we did a whole episode on the orphan spirit. What was that top gun? Uh, You know, the people who are dealing and we all deal with it to some degree, but people who deal with the orphan spirit feel unwanted because something has happened and we deal with, you know, you see this at the end of the movie. Why didn't they, why did they leave me? And one, one of the, the moments that I wrote down this last time when I, when I was watching the movie was when David was waiting by the phone to see if he got Dennis. And then like, he, he like, that's all he did all day. Like when other people called him, he's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I got to keep the line clear. And, he, and she was like, don't you have call waiting? I don't trust I it. I don't trust you know? it. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you as someone who has been with people when they have received the child that they have agreed to adopt, it was like being at a birth. It was. Like, okay, they didn't get the child by doing the fun thing. But however, they still went through a lot of labor to get mm-hmm. this person. And and they would not have done that unless they really, really wanted that person. And, you know, we uh, when we were in Korea, you could get cheap airfare for taking a kid a uh, Korean kid that was going to be adopted by like an American family and instead of the American family coming to Korea to pick up the kid, you could take the kid and you could get a cheap air flight 
for just taking the baby along with you. So Becca and I had the, uh, we thought, well, hey, we, we could both take one. And that was not, that was not smart because these kids but didn't. a transatlantic flight with two kids is uh, challenging. 14, well, we were thinking 14 hours, they'll sleep and we'll just, they didn't sleep. And, uh, and so <laughs> we were awake the whole 14 hours. So, but we get to Chicago was where these families met us. And when we, we handed one of the baby, one of the babies off, they were like, thanks, you know, and they just left. But the other one, like we, we, when we handed off the baby, they were like crying. It, it, it was like I was intruding. It was in the middle of an airport, mm. but I still felt like I was intruding on something very intimate. And these people came up to us and they were like, asking us questions about the baby and like we've only, we've only known this kid for like 20 hours man like it's like <laughs> but they were like asking us some questions and they wanted to know every detail and they got our email this is a long time ago they got our email addresses they emailed us dude for like six months letting us wow. know about the kid and how things were going and we would email back and forth with them do we know that's how happy god gets when we come to him do we really believe it? It says in the Bible that it's his good pleasure to adopt us. That's literally what Paul says. It makes him happy. And I love that scene with David where when he gets the call, he's like, yes, I'm in for crap. Like he's excited <laughs> and he's heard all the reasons why. And he's heard all the reasons that it's stupid. And he's heard all the reasons why he's not qualified. And he just wants this kid. He just wants this kid. And even if you're single, man, I'm telling you, you will find more contentment and meaning by fathering someone else than or mentoring someone else than you ever will in your job. Guaranteed. That's you. you I, I, I could guarantee that. I would bet all the money I have that if you will go through the hard thing and just mentor somebody and at the end of your life, you say, did you get more satisfaction out of that or out of your job? I mean, unless your job is <laughs> mentoring those kids, like your teachers um, or, or some sort of job accomplishment, because that's what David ends up learning. Like when, when he, when he starts this journey, he completely forgets about the sequel. Well, he doesn't completely forget about it. His agent's giving him a hard time. And, and, well, uh, there's that scene where they're golfing <laughs> and he's talking about, oh, it's just really hard. It's not coming together. I just don't understand. And the agent thinks he's talking about Dennis because right. Dennis is weird, right? He thinks he's a Martian. He's does, he's, he's like, oh man, it's, you know, and, and he says something and, and David is like, I'm not talking about Dennis. I'm talking about the book. Dennis is perfect. <laughs> like, and like, <laughs> He can't write this story, not because he's not interested in writing a cool science fiction story. It's because he's now, w when he finds a story that he's living that has meaning, it's it's a it's different, and that's why I said you know in the beginning there's is there's a difference between telling a story and living a story. And I'm a writer, and I have to remember this. Because I love to write. I love to tell cool stories. I love science fiction, fantasy, and I love all sorts of stuff. But I'm telling you, 
living a story is has more meaning than telling one. And it's fun and people buy your book and it's cool and they like it. But this is something David learns is that it's there's a difference between telling a story and living a story. And when you really live a story, then it changes the stories you tell as a writer or just in life. It changes, you know, it changes what you talk about with people. It, it, it right. changes what you bring up with people instead of, see, here's what guys do. <laughs> guys are great at talking about a third thing to connect, right? Basketball or movies or like a lot of guys are like this. Or their kids. Yeah. But real intimacy is when you talk about your thing, like what's going on with you, right? And it's hard to get there sometimes with some guys, you know, but they want to talk about that. We, we all need to. And so that's just where David gets. And, and by the end of the movie, right, we see that living a story with meaning, what could, like this sequel was just for money or whatever. Like it wasn't that like he wasn't interested at all. It was just, he was consumed by well, this new of, story. Cause he's like, I killed everyone off in the last one. How is there a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> and there. You can bring it's science fiction, or, you know, or it's fantasy. You can always right. bring them Every, back. The resurrection. You never. No one's really, really ever truly dead. Well, isn't that similar to what Alan Arnold says, where he's something like, "Your art can't go beyond the life you've lived between what your heart is beyond what your heart has experienced." I'm. I, I, amen. I love that, and I've heard him say it, or, or I read it, and I totally agree with it. And I'm. I'm gonna. I can't remember the exact quote, but Benjamin Franklin said something to the same effect. He was like, either write something interesting or live something interesting. And if you got to choose, live something interesting, <laughs> like, right. like live something that has some meaning, you know? Again, going back to what da David said earlier, I want to do something meaningful with my life. And for him, he had just written a best-selling book. Right. But what would be the most meaningful thing is having a child. Loving Dennis is what it, for him would be the most meaningful thing. And as you're, you've been saying, when you start living a story, you know, the, di the difference between telling a story, living a story, when you're living a story, it changes the story you want to write. Like his story wasn't, I mean, I guess technically his story was on paper. <laughs> Cause he ended up writing about him and Dennis, but our stories that we write, you know, because you might, well, I don't write, I don't do art. I don't. The stories that we write are the ones we're living. It's the stories we write on the people that we're having an impact on, on the, on the kids, on the guys around our fire pit, on the kids you're mentoring, on the people that you're walking, doing life with. Like that's the story that you're writing. What story are you living? You know, I, I said this the other day, <laughs> I said this at church when I had dinner and lunch with you guys and I asked a question, like, what's God telling you? Or, or tell me about a time when God has told you something and you did it. I said, it's a completely selfish question because I know I'm going to get a great story out of that. I know I'm going to hear a great story. If you have a story where God told you to do something and you went and did it, he didn't tell you something uninteresting to do. It was 
probably weird. And it was definitely beyond your ability to do it on your own. And it wasn't something you thought about doing on your own, right? Why would you need him to tell you if all of that, right? And so now it's an interesting story. And now we've connected on this thing, this biblical idea, like, you know, David says at one point, everyone thinks I'm crazy for this. And of course, Hallie's like, no, you're awesome. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is we're not watching a movie if it's, hey, this guy who's a widower lost his wife and writes a sequel. Right. But- that what makes this story interesting is because he does something crazy. He does something. He puts himself out there. He yes. and don't. I want to live a life that's worth telling a story about. Right. I don't want to live a life where it's like, yeah, I went, I showed up, I did this, and that's what I did. Yeah. Like nobody. It's uninteresting. Be weird. Be eccentric. Be a little crazy. And 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 you 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 make these decisions in 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 different ways. You know, my wife Beck and I made these sort of decisions early on, and God definitely led us in this. I mean, definitely, God definitely was like, "No, you're not going to just live a normal American life," you know. But I think that was an outgrowth of just how much we wanted to be with God and how much we loved Him and wanted to worship Him, and whether it was you know, as teachers or whatever he wanted us to do, you know, uh, he leads you down paths of things. And, and so we were like that with our kids, you know, we didn't want to give them the normal American life. We, we, we wanted them to value relationships. We wanted them to value experiences, not stuff. You know, we wanted them to, to value the sort of things that we had learned were important. And yes, absolutely. Like, like we said during, parenthood, you know, have a discovery sort of attitude with your kids. You know, who are they? Like, what do they find interesting? They're not going to be like me. And sometimes it means as parents trying to, trying to find those people that have the same interests as your kids that you can try to connect them with and have them be influences in your life, you know, whether that's through school or through church or through a community, whatever the community that you have or your family, if you've got one big enough. And, and, and as, as we go on through the movie, it, it does get difficult because he's dealing with those fears and, you know, and he, and he steals stuff. Like if, if you know people who have adopted or have foster kids, man, there's stuff like that happens all the time. They steal things or they hoard things or they do all sorts of things that they, to try to control the situation because they, they do have fear. Well, and that scarcity mindset. Yes. Where it's like, I need to, I need to control my situation. I need to take, yeah. I'm afraid that, cause they're afraid that you'll leave. Yeah. And, and you, you address it like that's wrong. I mean, it, it doesn't mean like you don't address it, um, but you realize that what's behind that, those actions is fear. And so you, you have to say, no, that's wrong. You can't do that. You know, but at the same time, deal with like David does at one point, you know, like when they break the plates and he's like, look, you're more important to me than stuff. You know, yeah. I was just frustrated. I, I'm not trying to come down. You know, whatever. He's trying to explain himself, and and I think for us as as men and as people, as we're as we're looking at this movie, and 
I know for me, there were there were not not just my parents, but there were also other people in the church who loved a weird kid. I'm telling you, man, I, I wouldn't be here if there weren't old people at my the church that I grew up with that looked at a long-haired dude who loved heavy metal music and was loud and crazy. And if they had, you know, they just loved me anyway. You know, they loved me and try to tried to tried to support the good things that I was doing, right? They were trying to support something. And I'm just saying I, I would not have I not I wouldn't be the guy I am today without those people. So yes, I was that kid in a certain way, but I was luckily to have some Davids in my life who were patient with me. So I want to go to the the end of the movie. Skipping over the big crisis on top of the museum, although I did think it was interesting that what really, what shifted Dennis's, you know, he's up there, he's holding on to the the roof, he's still holding on to his belief that he's a Martian, that he's got somewhere else to go, but really it's just covering up this fear of why didn't they want me, but what, what enabled Dennis to let go and run to David was the promise that David made is, I will never, ever, ever ever, 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 ever leave you. And how, that's God, right? In the Mm -hmm. Bible, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And so then as the movie kind of shifts off that scene, we hear David narrating the, the end of his book, The Martian Child to his publisher who's crying on the plane as she's flying back. Cause he's like, just read it. I'll give you the other stuff, but just read it. And it's a good way to sort of recenter ourselves on what it is we're talking about, not on a movie standpoint, but, but our role as fathers, as men, as we, we are both in, in this movie, we're both at one point Dennis or sometimes we're David. Mm. Sometimes we forget the children have just arrived on the earth. They are a little like aliens coming into being as bundles of energy and pure potential here on some kind of exploratory mission, and they're just trying to learn what it means to be human. For some reason, Dennis and I reached out into the universe and found each other. We'll never really know how or why, and discovered that I can love an alien, and he can love a creature. And that's weird enough for both of us. Because the honest truth is we are aliens. Earth is in our home. Mm-hmm. Heaven is. Heaven's our home. Heaven's where we're heading. And we are these bundles of light with endless potential. And that's just not, you know, baloney. It's just not smoke blowing at you. It's because that's what God put in us. God's put in this endless potential. If we allow him, if we let go of our but hold on the girder. And when he says, I promise I will never leave you, then we can run to him and we can believe him. And we don't have to be lonely. And, and what was what was that line? Children who feel safe are free to heal and become secure, trusting children. Like we have to learn to be children of God. Mm-hmm. Like again, the whole adoption thing, we are legally the children of God. That's the work Jesus did. Now we have to become the children of God. And that's, I think, a G.K. Chesterton quote or a George MacDonald quote. I can't remember. It's one of those guys. Because we are the sons of God, we must become the sons of God. 
Legally, yes. Now we have to go through the process of learning what it means to be a son. That's right. That's discipleship. That's sanctification, all those sort of, you know, religious buzzwords, but spiritual formation, you know, it's, it's the last part of my book uh, that's supposed to come out sometime soon. Good grief. Yeah. That it's just discovering that you were born again. What is this thing? What is this thing that's happened to me? Uh, it's one of my favorite parts about the New Testament. And this is kind of a tangent. One of my favorite parts of the New Testament is it reads like they're figuring out what the heck just happened to us. <laughs> That's kind of what it reads like to me. What just happened? And let me tell you guys what happened to us, because we're trying to figure it out. But this is, it's so much bigger and more than we realized it was. It was gonna ever going to be. He just said, come and I'm, uh, I'll help you fish for people. And we got filled with the spirit and people were getting hit, healed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what the heck? Like, this is way bigger than we thought. Like, it's not that big a jump, like, to say, I, it's, like, Britt, you believe you're from Mars. All right. Well, how weird is it to believe that somebody who died is still alive? <laughs> and not just who died and came back to life, but he's still living 2,000 plus years later. And that he's actually living in us. I mean, that's weird, right? Yeah. It's weird to believe that. So, but that's also where, where life comes from where we can become healed and wholehearted and we can be put in, we find ourselves in a family. Amen. So this has been Paul McDonald and Britt Mooney talking about the Martian child. If you haven't seen it lately or ever go check it out, ignore rotten tomatoes in their 33%. This is actually a pretty good, well-written movie. So we, we enjoyed it. We it gets the men at the movie stamp of approval. So happy <laughs> father's day. Uh, to all you fathers out there, and uh, we hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?